happens and the future is completely within our control. We're living through the single biggest culture shift of our time. This is the time for us to just really take charge. That's what revolutions do. They enable the impossible. Okay, so you have a birthday cake and need to cut it into eight equal pieces using only three slices. How do you do it? This isn't a scene from the worst birthday party ever. It's a type of interview question called a brain teaser, and it's most candidates' worst nightmare. According to Jason Chen, author of the 2017 Hiring and Tech Survey, it's also a pretty horrible way to assess a candidate. Jason spent months looking into this and other criteria we use to screen candidates today. And he has a dream of a world in which hiring looks very different. I'm Megan Keeney-Anderson, and this is The Gross Show. Jason, thank you so much for being here today. Megan, it's a pleasure to be here with you. Awesome. So I do want to get into the numbers because the report is fascinating. But before I do that, I want to talk a little bit about you and the path that sort of brought you to your current role and, and brought you to studying this area of recruiting and, um, and hiring. So first job that you were hired for in the technology space. Tell me about it. Yeah, the first job I had was working as a customer scout which is essentially a sales and marketing role. But this is in 2010 when everyone loved making up sort of silly names. I was just going to say. <laughs> yeah, it's very cute. Um, <laughs> and so it was a seven-person ad tech startup based out of Burlingame. I had most recently finished a one-year post-grad job as the business manager for the Stanford Daily newspaper, mm-hmm. which is kind of an old school job because you're in an office and you're you're getting letters and you're sending invoices to local advertisers. But I think the founder and the CEO saw that I had the ability to hustle and I understood advertising more broadly and they were building display advertising for sure. publishers. So I think there's a good connection there. And that was my first entry. Yeah, definitely. What do you remember from those early interviews that you d- yourself did getting into the tech space? I remember when I was interviewing at iSocket, I actually had had knee surgery. And so I took, I remember taking my first call over the phone while lying in bed with my leg all wrapped, bandaged up and I was probably on some drugs. <laughs> and, but I remember connecting with the founder who had been a track athlete and he had hurt his arm. And I remember thinking, great. I've got him hooked now. <laughs> oh, I'm you know, in. I'm in. He knows. Yeah. He, he's seeing me go through this injury. He's gone through an injury. We have that connection. And then I think I won a bunch of points when I showed up at the interview with crutches. That's That was something like extra that they were not expecting. Yeah. And I was just really enthusiastic and and was kind of game for anything they threw at me. And I was a gymnast. That that's, that's how I got the knee injury. So I'd been doing gymnastics for 15 years. And I think that background of having to perform under pressure was valuable in these kinds of interview contexts. And I recognize that not everyone necessarily is comfortable in that and that that's not a sort of normal day-to-day experience to be kind of grilled by people over the course of several hours. But for me, it was something that I was sort of comfortable with. And it does reveal a little something about your character and about your personality that the standard interview questions probably would not get at. 
Yeah, I, I think so. I, I think that every interview and every sort of hiring activity is meant to give you a signal. It's a proxy for whether or not you're going to be successful in the job. And different processes work better for different scenarios. And certainly being, being on sales calls, it makes more sense that you need to respond quickly on the fly to questions that you maybe hadn't considered and you have to kind of sell yourself. Right. But I think not every role necessarily needs that, right? If you're going to put people through a ringer for a software development role and it's one where you don't have to be so extroverted day to day, it doesn't make as much sense to make it all question-based and all conversation-based. And it's funny because all, all interviews are sort of the same that way, right? Regardless I, of how the role is. I make a, uh, a, an analogy is that oftentimes the way we, we do interviews is just a conversation. It's like you would never hire a musician and assign a musician onto your record without listening to them play. You'd never sign a quarterback without watching them throw a football. Right. So why would you hire people just having them talk about what they do? Yeah, absolutely. So let's shift gears and talk a little bit about the survey and the research you did itself. Give me the numbers behind the study, uh, how many people were involved in it, what fields did you survey, all of that. Sure. So I launched this study in June of 2017, and we had 50 tech employers, which we looked for as hiring managers or recruiters, Mm -hmm. and 161 tech workers, which fell into engineering, design, product management, and data science. Okay. Obviously, lots of people work in tech, but that was sort of the major group that we wanted to look at. So these people were, came from all around the world. A lot of them worked in what you might call traditional technology or software companies, but uh, a number of them also came from other industries like banking or healthcare, where they were an engineer at a hospital or something like that. Right. Yeah. What were you thinking you would see in the data? Well, one one of the big questions I had were around brain teasers, coding tests, and take-home assignments. Mm-hmm. Because I think these are all things that are talked a lot about in the hiring process. Brain teasers, right, came came about in the, in the 50s with William Shockley, who was trying to assess some of these engineers that he was looking for. And he was really looking for this analytical ability, this learn quickly, figure things out on the fly. And he was one of those early people who were like, I have eight coins and one of them doesn't weigh the same as everything else. How do I figure out which one works? And that was an interesting innovation on the standard, tell me about your current job and what you do, right? And so in some ways it was a step forward, but then it took on a life of its own and it became its own sort of universe of trying to learn the the puzzles and, and trying to come up with new puzzles. And and now Google recently announced or announced a couple of years ago that they stopped doing brain teasers. And so I was curious to know, is that true across the industry or is it, you know, true for some companies and not others? Similarly with coding tests, that's kind of a new thing that's emerged is the ability to have people write code on the spot and evaluate right. it, evaluate it. And is that prevalent? And then finally, what we talked about with take-home assignments uh, at Etsy, I had never seen a company until Etsy that was so rigorous and, and comprehensive with their assignments. And I was curious to know how broad that activity was. But you know, yeah. once you want to ask those questions, you might as well ask a broader set of questions. Sure. Well, let's let's start actually and dive into the topic of brain teasers first a little bit, and then we'll we'll come back to some of those others. 
it is interesting to me that, you know, it, it kind of started in earnest as this way to figure out how individuals go about solving complex problems and how they how their brain works and how they think. But with the advent of, you know, sites like Glassdoor and forums and Blind, the ability to sort of share what these brain teasers are, there's almost like a, a crib sheet on the internet for what you're going to be asked. And you can, so it's the opposite of that, right? So you can find out the questions to the test before you get there, and then you're not using your brain at all. You're just copying what somebody else has already gone through. Yeah, I think that when you're an employer and you're thinking about whether the person understands how to solve problems quickly and they get their brain teaser right, it means either they really did figure it out on the spot or Mm -hmm. they learned it in advance and are good at sort of pretending to work through it. And that's a second problem. Those are two very different things. That's two, two very different things. So, And you from say the your data, candidate is still a mi- kind of a mystery at that point. Yeah. It, 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 you haven't learned as much as you had hoped. Right. So from the data, we saw that hiring managers said they didn't frequently use brain teasers. So about 6% of people said always, which is still a lot. You know, 6% saying they always use brain teasers, yep. 8% saying sometimes using it. So 14% of people saying brain teasers come up on occasion in our hiring process. And it was the least common on-site hiring practice that we measured. So hiring managers are already sort of starting to phase it out as an older practice. Right. Except that when we asked candidates, they said that they saw brain teasers 66% of the time. Oh, wow. That's a big difference. That's a big difference. And so they said, 32% of them said they always saw it, and 34% said they sometimes saw it. What do you think is going on there? Well, there's two big explanations in my mind for that. One is that there's a few companies that are doing this, are still doing brain teasers a lot, and a lot of candidates are interviewing at that one company, so they see it. But that still doesn't explain the 32% who say always. I mean, unless you only interview at one or two companies that are definitely doing brain teasers. Right. The other answer is that we have different definitions of what a brain teaser is, and that's accounting for the discrepancy where maybe a hiring manager is asking a question that they think is just a relevant piece of information to know, and the candidate's like, that's some sort of weird puzzle. I I don't feel like that's relevant. So there's an interesting disconnect there, and, and I don't have all the answers, but it's definitely something that kind of like future research, if anyone wants to pick this up, go go break down what a brain teaser really means because we don't have a clear definition on it. What do you think about a brain teaser in the context of the company? So asking a candidate how they would solve a particular problem that's been really stumping the company for a while. Yeah, I think that's a great question. And that starts to become much more of a case study, much more of a rich kind of job-specific project. And I think that's the kind of thing that's super valuable is to talk about real scenarios, right? The part of the problem with brain teasers is that they're abstract and they're usually very hypothetical. You know, you're on a island full of pirates and the pirates want gold. And then how do you break down the gold in a way that nobody, you know, they're, <laughs> they're sort of really weird in that way versus saying like, okay, we have our growth is stalling out and we're not seeing new users activate at the same rate that we did before. What are some of the reasons that might be causing this? What would you investigate to validate those potential reasons and you know how would you address them, right? That is not a brain teaser. I wouldn't call that a brain teaser. I'd call that a 
problem solving activity. And I think that'd be really valuable. Why do I feel like if I got you in a room and sat you down, you could recite up to 500 different brain teasers based on all your research? <laughs> well, you know, you- You keep pulling you out study, these examples and I'm like, oh yeah, that's another good one. You study things that you uh, aren't good at because you know it's a weakness, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, okay, so let's let's talk a little bit about these take-home assignments because that's sort of, we're getting in the area of more thoughtful, time-intensive, relevant, in-context kind of problem solving. Uh, what did your research find on take-home assignments? Yeah, so, so take-home assignments, both hiring managers and candidates were seeing them come up fairly frequently. Employers said that 51% of the time they were using a take-home assignment, either sometimes or always. That's pretty Obviously, significant. Yeah, that's, you know, nearly half of, of the industry is is using take-home assignments at least some of the time for hiring, right? I think mm -hmm. that's great. Candidates on the other side saw it similarly. I mean, they were saying actually 68% of them were saying that they saw take-home assignments. So, you know, we have some pretty good correlation there. And what's more interesting is actually that we ask then, how valuable are these activities? And so from the employer's perspective, 40% of them said it was either valuable or really valuable and 62% of candidates felt the same way. So there's pretty good agreement that this is a, a useful tool. I understand why it'd be useful from the company's standpoint, but why do you think it's so valuable to candidates? Well, I think that candidates may be frustrated in the same way about being asked things that aren't necessarily relevant to the job. I think most candidates don't want to get a job that they aren't qualified for. They know they aren't going to be successful there. And if you're talented and capable, you want to earn that job. Right. Earning that job only makes sense if you feel that the things we're asking you to do are relevant to the job at hand. And I think that homework assignments are one of the closest proxies for actual on-the-job work. Yeah, that's right. In some ways, it gives you a way to try the job on for size and get a sense of what your life would be too. Yeah, you know, some of the some homework assignments can be kind of abstract as well. Mm. So, for instance, one assignment could be like write a game, you know, an arcade game that that you might play, and so that's that's asking you to to challenge your development skills, but it's also for something that's not really relevant. Or we could say like, Got it. here's an example API that our company uses. And so just for a minute to talk about my company Headlight, we, we had someone go through this who's, who was hiring an engineer who's going to write programs that are based off an API. And they basically said, here is our API and here is an example of the kind of request that comes through. Please write a piece of code that fulfills that request, right? That's that's exactly what you're going to be doing in your yeah. job. And we get a sense of that before you start, which is super valuable. There's also, you know, the flip side of that. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about like kind of the dark side of, of take-home yes. assignments. Uh, you know, I've heard feedback that take-home assignments can be really tough when you are balancing an existing job and you've got a family and it's sort of work that you have to do just as to, just to do the interview for a future role. There's sort of that argument. And then there's also the argument of people who, I guess there is a market for people who can actually hire out the completion of that take-home assignment to somebody else and kind of cheat the system that way. What, what are your thoughts on that side? Yeah. So those are two really great points, Megan. And interviewing as a candidate, 
is a lot of work, right? It's a big burden on a candidate. When you're a recruiter, when you're a hiring manager, hiring is part of your job. You might find it stressful and it's a lot of work. And if you're you know, a director of product and you're trying to do product and hire a product manager, right. that's, that's a lot of work, but it's still your job. With a candidate, you're trying to do your main job and talk to companies and have them do, uh, do work for them that's totally separate from what you're supposed to be doing day to day. And so that is a burden. And uh, I acknowledge that. And I think that homework assignments, bad homework assignments can be really painful. And I think they've given the tool a bad rap in some circles because you might be asked to do something that takes 10, 20 hours. Right. And you're not even getting paid for this. And you don't even know if there's a next step. And if you have two or three companies all asking for that, all of a sudden you have a full week of work that is not your paid work. So that is a problem. And I think the solution to that is to time box the assignment. And I think it's difficult to control that because you can say, don't spend more than two or three hours on this. But if you just send it to them over email, there's actually no way for them to really, for you to really know that they spent two to three hours. And if you're a candidate, you know that. And so of course you're going to spend a little bit more if you really want want that job. Yeah. All of a sudden, it's an arms race of who's going to spend more time and and really blow you away with the assignment. So one thing that we do at Headlight is we actually don't reveal the assignment until the candidate press start. We tell them it's gonna it's time box to up to X hours. I, I recommend four hours as a as a nice limit. Saying pick an assignment that takes two to three hours, give them four hours. But everyone knows that no one is spending more than four hours, and I think that that goes a long way to kind of time box it. And also, I think we should compensate candidates. You know, I saw Etsy compensate design candidates for $1,000 for an eight-hour assignment, which is actually a tremendous That's really gesture yeah. of respect and an acknowledgement of, look, I know you're a great person, and this isn't meant to say, we don't believe that you can do this job and we're putting you through the ringer, but we are sort of appreciating your time. And so it doesn't have to be $1,000, but even a $25 Amazon gift card, right? Hey, we're not paying you for this. This isn't, you know, this isn't like a side job. This isn't a contract job, but we want to acknowledge that your time is valuable. And I think that that goes a long way to doing that, even if it's not a lot of money. Yeah, exactly. Because there is a reputation that companies develop around um, their hiring brand and, and how they treat candidates. It's, it's why, again, sites like Glassdoor and review sites for hiring practices exist and in a field that is as competitive as technology is, um, we'll get into some of the, the how competitive it is in just a moment, but that seems worthwhile to make sure that every candidate, even the ones that you don't end up hiring, leave with a good perception of your, of your company. Absolutely. I mean, I'm doing a lot of research right now on selection processes across business, education, athletics. And I was recently trained to be an alumni interviewer for Stanford. And they're starting to, you know, if you apply to Stanford and and you want to do an an extra interview, uh, there's like a, there's a community of alumni who will, will do that. And what they emphasize is, look, you're here to do two things and each thing is important. The first thing is to get a better sense of this applicant and let us know what they're like in person and, and some of their personal qualities. The other thing you're trying to do is to convince them 
to attend Stanford if they get in, right? We want to increase yield. It is not a grill session because right. that is going to leave someone with a bad taste in their mouth. They're going to say, you know, this person was was stuck up, was was really aggressive. And you don't want that, right? And and the same thing has to be true for every every interview process that you're running. It's not just about the interview, right? Even it, it's a it's a form of marketing. Recruiting is is marketing to a customer segment that is really about people who work at your company. Yeah. Right? What they're buying yeah. is a job at your company. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you mentioned Headlight uh, just a moment ago in terms of providing a platform for take-home assignments. I want to give our listeners a little bit of context there. Can you tell us about Headlight and what it does? Headlight is a company that I started earlier this summer. And what it does is it provides a take-home assignment platform for employers and candidates. It's pretty simple, right? Uh, most most homework assignments are sent over email mm-hmm. and then they're sent back and then they're sitting in uh, a recruiter or hiring manager's inbox. And we talked about some of the challenges with with timing. So what Headlight does is we have a platform where you can create an assignment or you can use a library of assessments that we've developed for different roles. You can send that out with a landing page that's specific to that candidate. They don't the timer doesn't start and they don't see the assignment until they press start. Then they have the time to complete the assignment. They can upload a file. Once that's uploaded, it goes back into a centralized location so that if, if for whatever reason later on, a different person needs to make a hiring decision, you can kind of compare all the previous assignments. You have access to all the data. Everything is in one place. Hmm. And we felt like that's something that didn't exist in the market. And we're really excited to make this available to people. Cool. All right. So in general, how has this study and your experience at Headlight really changed the way that you personally think about um, your own career uh, or future job searches? I think that there's a couple things. One, I've been recently serving as a, uh, partly serving as a recruiter for a company that's hiring their first PM. And I was a product manager previously at Etsy. And I'm looking through all these people's resumes and I'm like, I really need to put more stuff on my resume. Uh, (laughs) I have that thought all the time, Jason, (laughs) where I see resumes coming in and I'm like, I would not get hired at this company today if I applied. But yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. I, I think like uh, including details, right, yeah. is, is, was the big thing was that I, I think, you know, talk about the results that you've produced. And to me, I think talking about results is great. And obviously everyone wants to see someone who can produce results. But also we recognize that also what's important is the process in which you get to those results. And if you just say, you know, grew user base by 300%, well, that's great. But was it because we tripled the ad spend? Was it because one partner sort yeah. of shared it really widely? I mean, what were the steps? What was the process? Because without a repeatable process, then that was just luck. And so needing to understand all the steps and all the activities that it took to actually make that successful and um, is is something that I realize is I, I want to take forward into future roles. I do think that part of the reason why I started Headlight was because I have sent in unasked for assignments in the last three jobs that I've had. I sort of, um, for Etsy, I read the S1, the the sort of IPO report, and yep. I came up, I built a whole website that was like, here's my take on the business, oh, here's wow. strong or weak with it, yeah. here are some personas, and here's some product ideas. And by the way, three of the four product ideas were sort of under development or in discussion internally at Etsy. And so that 
allowed them to see that I could think about things in the way that they thought about things and it made it easier for them to say yes. I call that the 10x job application. Right. And I think that that's a tool that I always recommend to people who are like, you know, I think I had a good interview, but I think they're also interviewing other candidates and I'm not sure what to do now. And I'm like, make something, do something, show them you can do this job. And it shows so much initiative. And having having gone through this, I, I really realized how how much uh, those things matter because most people aren't doing it. And so you you really stand out and and being remembered is a huge it's part everything. of yeah. the game, right? Yeah. I mean, I'd love to hear your how you approach hiring for your team because marketing is a such a broad field and so many people come in with different competencies or sort of missing certain areas. Like, how do you look for some of the things that um, you want for your team? Well, it's fascinating. What Some of what you just said really resonates with me because there does seem to be this major lack of imagination on the candidate's part when it comes to what a resume and a job interview is all about, right? The whole point is to show off what you can do and what you can, what value you can add to the company. But we, we sort of, the format is really restrictive, right? We set people up to, to check boxes. So box number one, send in a resume. Box number two, maybe include a cover letter. Box number three, you know, answer interview questions. But in all of that box checking, you sort of lose that, you're really just trying to show what you would bring to the company. And so anyone who does as you did at Etsy and sort of steps out of that box and goes above and beyond, that really resonates. That, that is a game changer for a candidate. You know, the lion's share of the people who are currently on staff here did some form of that. Either wow. they, you know, they start, they did, you know, targeted advertising directly to HubSpot, to um, hiring managers, to to you know, look at their resume, or they started a blog that really caught our eye. We have one writer, um, an editor on our sales blog, who was had an entire business as a freelance writer before she even left undergrad. And you know, we had hired her to to do some writing for us as an undergrad. So when he when she graduated, absolutely, we we yeah. picked her up. And so yeah, I mean, marketing isn't quite as competitive as um, engineering per se, but it's getting there. Um, and anyone who sort of has the ability to catch our attention outside of the standard format, it goes a long way. Yeah, I think in particular, marketing is such a perfect example of this, right? Because you're trying to catch the attention of the hiring manager, which is exactly the same kind of skill right. you're going to be using day to day. So, I mean, it's I love that. Meta. This is, uh, it's so aligned and, um, and hot tips for everyone who's listening on this podcast. If you want to get a job <laughs> in, uh, in marketing, you're going to have to really stand out. Yep, absolutely. Okay, last question for you. Let's fast forward. In a perfect world, what's one thing you would change about the way that candidates find jobs or get hired in tech? So let me tell you my dream. I, I have this dream for the future of, of work and it is... When you want to go for a job, you complete a series of projects one time that speak to different competencies for the job. Maybe it's some data skills, maybe it's some persuasive writing or building a presentation, mm -hmm. maybe it's it's some uh, some sort of like rapid fire Q and A that uh, they have to do on the spot, depending on the role, right? Or maybe it's writing software, and then that becomes sort of your 
your application packet, if you will, and and companies can kind of decide whether or not you fit their their needs, the skills they're looking for, and then you know the the interview is much more about, hey, is this a good cultural fit? I've proven to you that I have the technical competencies to do this job and yeah. I don't have to reprove it every single time to every single company. But then we can just, you know, similar to how Google has this process where they uh, run people through a long sort of drawn out tech screen by a lot of interviews, a lot of people. But then then you're just like, OK, we, we could hire you. And now you're going to talk to teams about whether or not they want to work with you. You know, that's much more of a casual process than a grill process. So sort of separating that and, and saying like grill first, grill one time and then have conversations that are much more about a sell than about a sort of evaluation. I would love to see a world where we do something like that. All right, Jason, we will leave it there. That's a great note to end on. Thank you so much for taking the time and for kind of painting a world for us in which uh, there are straightforward answers to big problems. Megan, it was a pleasure and an honor to be on the show. Hey, you're still here. Good on you. Thanks for sticking around. I have one last real quick ask. If you like the show, it would mean a whole lot if you left a review over in the iTunes store. I know, I know, it sounds played out, but it actually helps people find the show. And it makes my mom proud. So thank you in advance. Oh, and hi, Mom. <laughs>